Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's your spiral-shaped bruiser, Holden McNeely. And it's me, your fish with gross spider legs, Jake Young. Oh my god! He's eating a baby! Um, I loved this episode, perhaps, Holy shit. Let's talk about it. Let, let's get, let's just get right in there. We're doing Junji Ito. Junji Ito, we should definitely set up just in case people don't know. He is the master of horror manga. Um, he has, I feel like, no equal, in my opinion, in terms of, uh, Japanese horror manga. There's I'm sure just, he, I'm sure he does. Right. That's the we thing. just don't know yet. We yeah. just haven't seen it yet. It's the it's, weird it's still thing happening. where, like, which, uh, manga authors get noticed in the West and which ones don't. But it's so good, Jake. It's so good. Also, <laughs> the fact that, like, he's become popular Pretty much exclusively through, like, memes. Yeah, which is weird. Like, yeah, you see, like, a a shark opening a door, (laughs) and you're like, what the fuck is this batshit craziness? And then you realize way later, oh, that's Junji Ito. And it is funny, like, until this week, I never really sat down and dove in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we both read uh, Uzumaki, right? uh, Uzumaki. Yeah, we both both read that. uh, uh, Uzumaki. Um, and do- dove into some more of his stuff. Really, uh, and oh, fuck, I'm immediately gonna fuck it up. So I'm trying to look up the name. Uh, a- Angostura Fault. The uh... oh, the Enigma at Amigara Fault. Thank is you. the one that is kind of one of the strongest memes. Kind of the best entry level. Yes. Thing and into that's, that, that's how I came to it. Right. So I I must have. And even it it's a... referenced in Steven Universe. It's literally yeah, yeah. a plot line where there's holes for people that they fit exactly into. So the Enigma of Amigara Fault. I never. I can never remember the name of that one. So that is a short manga that he did that is online that you can find really easily. Mm-hmm. It's on somebody uploaded it to Imager, and I think I I read it like through the website Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, I think I read it, I did, I read it at work one day, and it was when I was going through, down one of those, like, creepypasta holes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you sort of get deep, and, and I remember finding that one and reading that, and couldn't believe how weirdly shook I was by it. There's just a, something about it tonally, there's something about, there's just such an impending dread to it, and such a, the, the, you know, he does bizarre mystery so well that you're like, ugh, this, I don't know why this odd happening is making me feel so strange but he tapped into something in my subconscious that that makes me just feel gross and uncomfortable and mystified by this whole whole comic and uh, uh and then you get to the end it has a great payoff as does many of ito's uh, uh short short tales of horror and I was really I was very profoundly impressed by it and what what shocks me is that I didn't dig deeper into Ito. Like, he was always in the periphery. And then, of course, you have PT and, you know, hearing that he was involved in that and remembering uh, Amigara Fault and, and thinking, man, that, and, and always having some notion of uh, fish monsters mm-hmm. being involved in his work just from the memes and stuff. Uh, but this week, I finally got to sit down and dig deep. And also, getting to uh, Uzumaki 
it it is it has like a uh, you can get the full thing. This is his work about spirals. We'll get into it if you have no idea what I'm talking about. It was twenty bucks on Amazon, and it was like and it's like thick as all hell and a nice hardback edition. And I want to go and get Gyo and Tomi as well. Also have omnibuses. Bullen, before we get into it, it's Tomie. Tomie, okay. And cool. I'm never going to correct you again because fuck that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Because, oh my God, that guy on Twitter who came at us, please. <laughs> I get it. I mispronounce everything. If you're here for pronunciations, this is not a good podcast for you, okay? <laughs> it's better that you mispronounce it uh, in just a normal like Western pronunciation than what I do, which is fucking will send me to hell, which is when I try and do, I believe it's Tomie. <laughs> with the fucking fake Japanese accent. That is where like sinners and liars go and burn forever. So I've been away in uh, on a family vacation. At one point we went out to the mountains. We went to a mountain cottage, my my family <laughs> mountain cottage. And I'm surrounded by Lexi's father and my parents and Lexi and it's a nice time. We're having a really good time, but I am feeling a little bad because I am just in the corner like that nerd pouring through Uzumaki, just entranced by it, just trying to, just being like, oh, cool, it's time for dinner, and in the back of my head, I'm like, when can I get back to the front porch, to this beautiful view, and this incredible tome of horror manga that just knocked my fucking socks off, I just absolutely loved it, and couldn't believe how accessible it's been to me this whole time, and, and just perfect timing. Obviously, we're doing spooky stuff this month, but, you know, there's just a feeling in the air, it's just... It, even today, we're recording this exact podcast on this d- dark and scary, you know, drizzly dreary, day. Mm-hmm. Dreary. Um, that's th- we're ending strong, spooky October because yeah. we've covered a bunch of horror stuff and we've covered Adam's family, which yeah, whatever. Uh, but this, I've had nightmares this week. I have had unsettling thoughts. <laughs> I have been thoroughly shaken. And somebody on Facebook was even like, I'm so sorry you're doing this episode this week because you must just be cramming these unbelievably terrifying images into your brain. And it's it's the (laughs) artistry of the image. It's the timing. It's the creativity. It's the craft that really sent it home. And um, they made an anime recently. They did Uh the Junji Ijo collection and it fell flat. It really did not work because there's something about the physical book, the physical page turn, the intricate designs and stippling and tones and like detail in the drawings that really shake you to the core. At, le- at least once in every Junji Ito comic, even if it's a single chapter of a larger series or a one-off like Amigara Fault or the Hanging Balloons. Yes, Hanging Balloons. Holy shit, the Hanging <laughs> Balloons. Um there's just a singular image and they even do it like perfectly timed with like a good like reaction shot uh-huh. forcing you terrified to turn the page mm-hmm. and then you just get a splash page of just an unsettling image that just burns into your soul uh whether it's the dad crammed him cramming himself into a wash tub or the next door neighbor from like the 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 wind the thing next door just kind of like tick tick ticking uh, just bodies just t- contorted into horrifying shapes, familiar, safe things all of a sudden, like uh, just imbued with like just nightmare malice, even just as something as simple as just a fish. But now it's got fucking spider legs <laughs> or a cat that now has fucking spider legs <laughs> or uh, your former girlfriend who now has spider legs. <laughs> Uh, we'll get into the spider legs. Yeah, I'm glad I, you I, posted. I I'm glad you posted that picture of the <laughs> what is it? The cave spider. It is. It is known as a. Fuck it. It's. Uh, we'll talk about. We'll Kyo. talk we'll, about anyway, it. But it's um, so terrifying. You're like, oh, that's where he gets it. Just the natural insects from Japan. Uh, <laughs> terrifying. The. I, I. It's so hard to describe this because it is purely a visual medium. If you care about the art of comics, if you care about the art of horror, if you care about. Um, just like what a single person can do and what kind of truly unbridled creativity can bring into the world. 
you owe it to yourself to read Junji Ito. Yeah, I feel like he also visualized uh, the rhythm of the prose of H.P. Lovecraft, one of his biggest influences uh, in a huge way. You know what I mean? Like, when you read mm. Lovecraft, there's just something unsettling about it, and you're just like, what? Like, it feels like this thing that's, like, happening to you and all humanity, this reality, this world that Lovecraft is throwing at you. And he so wonderfully puts that into picture. Also, too, and you were talking about the animation thing, I do think it's greatly benefited by the black and white. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me a bit of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, almost. absolutely. Like, there's something about the black and white. And even in Uzumaki, there's some um, color to some of the image images. Not much. It's very light. But when they do it, it's these muted tones. It's these very like it. It, it still has a, a uh, It feels still drained of color in a certain way. There's uh, also the aspect of J horror. Yeah, where like uh, as opposed to like Western kind of horror, where uh, you know Dracula has these rules. He was m- created by this, and like he can be killed with this, mm-hmm. and he has these desires. The Wolfman has rules. The mummy Wolf has- Wolfman's got nards! Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> the fucking hanging balloons don't got nards. No. They, they just have no your mom's voice <laughs> and the urge to kill. The uh, idea that spirits are everywhere, there's just vengeful energy that you cannot reason with, yes. you cannot understand, and that um, basically every Junji Ito protagonist is not- the hero as much as just you happen to be following yeah, the were, last person to who who happened to survive long enough yes to know you're just you're what just killed them. you've been doomed from the beginning not to like spoil or anything anything with hereditary but it reminds me of a movie like hereditary right yeah. where you're you were doomed from the start you just didn't know it till the very end you yeah, know and that's that fucking sticks with yeah it does life is full of things that you just can't just, you have away. no control over and and the dark mysteries of the universe and and tapping into that is so terrifying as some uh, random bystander. The you know the idea, yeah. Uh, he's I we obviously were both in agreement about how we feel about Juji Ito, and it was really a pleasure to get to get into that source material and really and really dig in. And I I want to go and and I can't believe how nice not to like I don't want to be like too much of a salesman here, but like I'm shocked at how cheap and nice these omnibuses are of his major works it's 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 like that's i i i now am going to be like collecting ito um and i'm excited for the future of his work also he does cute cat mangas and uh, has a sense of humor oh and you know isn't just some weird like goth guy in his basement like he seems like a kind of a funny nerdy uh quirky dude who just happens to really love horror uh, I was. I want to ask you, what are some of? Uh, give me, give me two, give me two fucked up images that will stick with you. Well, obviously, the final image of uh, Amagara Fault. Um, I would say. I mean, I, dude, eight, eight of them just flashed in my head. <laughs> um, uh, the Jack in the Box. Uh, oh, section of oh, Uzumaki. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> when he's. Oh, that was so good. I forgot about that. Honestly, one. not even that reminded I was me. Screaming in my kitchen <laughs> when it and Marie was like, "What the fuck is happening?" And I was like, "His spine. <laughs> it's his spine." <laughs> Well, even to the image of him, uh, I, uh, spoilers, by the way, I'm sorry if this is going to spoil too much, but I, hopefully it doesn't. But him getting hit by the car in the first place mm. was a terrifying image. The biggest one for me, I think, besides the Amagara Fall, of course, will always stick with me because it was my first. But um, uh, the image of the guy right before he goes into the longest, longest dream. Um, oh. Where his neck feels like it's wrapped up, he he like kind of lost a chin, and he just has become this. He almost looks like what you might consider an elder god would look like a like a cursed elder god or something. Mm-hmm. Just this tortured soul who just. Um, so the longest dream, the premise, by the way, is just that every time he dreams. It, it, it the dreams go longer and longer. So he'll wake up and it will just be one night hit will have passed. But for him, it was 30 years. And that's that that lengthens and lengthens and it affects him physically. It changes him. And um, those physical effects are so terrifying looking. There's like cracks in his body. It, it it's hard to describe properly, but that would definitely be one of them. Of course, uh, I'm I'm uh, going to be referencing um, Uzumaki a lot, but uh, uh, the the woman who um, 
who ends up with the uh, has the uh, birthmark on her forehead, and that turns into a spiral that takes over like a quarter of her face <sighs> with the eyeball poking out. I mean, that's out. that's one of the most cla- people get tattoos of that. There's yeah, T-shirts of that. It's a million great. remixes. It's so good. Obviously, another one that uh, sticks with me because it also is like used a lot in memes is uh, glyceride where the family is cursed by the fry oil of the restaurant they live below, <laughs> and the teen brother smushes all the pimples on his face at once over his sister. Ugh. Oh, God, I was gagging. I was fucking <laughs> puking and fucking sputtering. <laughs> um, and, and you know, this uh, while you c- come up with more uh, horrifying images to tell us about, this is a general flow to his stuff. It starts in a simple but unnerving way, some presentation of some oddity that's happening, and it, it builds and builds and builds. And then in the final couple of pages, you are presented with usually like a, a giant two-page spread of terror. Uh, the wash basin is a great example of that. Uh, yeah. And, and you're all, it's weird. You're like both looking forward to that punch and you're also dreading it at the same time with every uh, with everything. Oh, man. It should but- also be said that uh, uh, unlike a lot of the people we've covered, uh, like, you know, Akira Toriyama – or uh, the or one and one punch man, uh, Jinji Ito got his start technically as a bishojo writer. As a mm-hmm. as a uh, the first Tomie story was uh, was published in a girls manga yes. compilation, and he has like a very almost it's a pretty style. It's yeah. a, like until the shit hits the fan yeah. <laughs> so hard that the you just start breathing in shit dust because it's been pulverized by the fan. Um, it is like the characters have this slender beauty to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody has like ad, you know uh, exaggerated physicality. Mm-hmm. There's no honking gazangos, no like chi attacks. It's uh, you know it's these very like beautiful serene characters and these very beautiful serene Japanese well rendered backgrounds. Uh, and it's only when things start going wrong that the beauty gets corrupted. Uh, did you read Army of One, by the way? No. Okay, in Army of One, there's a weird phenomenon where people uh, are just uh, appearing naked and stitched together with fishing wire. Mm. Um, and there's a scene where uh, it's become so prevalent that the Japanese government has banned all uh, public gatherings of three or more people. And the hero, who is like, obviously, has been, who is uh, treating the threat seriously, uh, is convinced to go to his class reunion, which is has under special permission gotten access to uh, gather. But there's a bunch of army men around, and there's a bunch of people around. And uh, he and the girl he has a crush on uh, get caught by the police because he's acting too uh, paranoid. And they're like, whoa, 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 you hold up a second. And she's like, no, he's part of the ceremony. Come on. It's fine. They show up late, and the whole full uh, event venue is just empty. And everyone just starts flipping the fuck out. And they cut to a giant, like, shopping mall that is just littered with stitched bodies and, like, all these crazy arrangements. It's awesome. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) It's good stuff. Let's get into it, shall we? Shall we get into the story of Junji Ito? Um, How'd he get this fucked up? He's not that fucked up. Well, he's a little (laughs) fucked up. So he is born in the Gifu Prefecture. Again, I'm not going to pronounce it the way you want me to. I suggest throwing your uh, phone against the wall if you're upset about me not pronouncing No, I suggest going to patreon.com slash whizbrew (laughs) and paying $15 a month. So you can personally insult him and he can't say anything about it. Uh, the Gifu Jifu Prefecture of, of Japan in 1963, Ido said, Even though I was a scaredy cat, I loved ghost stories, kaiju, and UFOs, so I consumed a lot of movies and manga about those things. He was inspired by a lot, in a lot of ways, his older sisters were a, a, such a huge, um, uh, profound, had such a huge profound impact on him. They were really the ones that introduced him to all this horror manga, specifically Kazuo Umezu. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, this is, he's generally known as the grandmaster of Japanese horror manga. Uh, he, uh, Ito first read, uh, I love the, uh, I don't know how you access this, but Jake sent me this really wonderful. He does a really good job of autobiography manga mm-hmm. stuff, telling his own story, telling how he became the the Junji Ito we know today and he and he tells the st- tale of essentially how he was turned on to Umetsu's work um he first read his uh piece Mummy Teacher which led to his sisters giving him a special edition of the cursed mansion on his birthday Ito said about um 
Umetsu. I guess I would uh, I would have been in preschool at that time, like maybe four or five years old. Reading that made me want to write my own manga. Uh, and he didn't start until he got to elementary school. He said, I wrote this it's story. It's nice that he uh, was influenced and encouraged to draw by his sisters, unlike uh, the creator of JoJo, uh, Araki, who was so emotionally tortured by his sisters <laughs> that he had to hide in his bedroom all day yeah. and drew just to pass the time and not go crazy. <laughs> he said, I wrote this story about a monster that had an eye in the middle of a hand and it attacked the protagonist of the story, which sounds very Ito. He uh, started copying frames of all the manga he was reading uh, even before he got into elementary school just for fun. And he never really at first had the idea of like, oh, this is what I'm going to do for a living. It was always uh, seemed very much like a hobby to him. Uh, but also, he was terrified by his bathroom. This is where we get to talk about the bugs. So it, this is this put together so many puzzle pieces for me. But uh, in an interview, Ito talks about yes, his childhood fears, and uh, it was Gifu is like kind of a mountainous uh, prefecture or region. Sorry, and uh, his uh, house, uh, the bathroom, you had to walk through a a unfinished floor basement to get to it. Uh, which means unlike, you know, uh, traditional Western houses where they lay down some concrete as part of the foundation, uh, on in his basement, you had to walk on bare earth to get to the bathroom. And um, if you have a basement, you know for a fact that uh, that's where the creepy crawlies tend to live. Mm-hmm. And so he and this was, was at the end of this tunnel, too, yeah. by the way. So he had to he had to brave an underground tunnel. Uh, he said he couldn't even go to the bathroom by himself. Uh, but he had. A ton of centipedes, which shows up a lot in his work. A lot of centipede, like, elongated uh, figures. Uh, There's the one where, like, the guy's freaky bald head becomes a centipede. Uh, But, you know, we have house centipedes in New York. It's not that bad. But this is different. This was spider crickets that would live there. He said, they look like crickets. We used to call them toilet crickets because they often showed up in those countryside toilets. They have spotted bodies, rounded backs, and very long legs. Incredibly long pointy legs with which they would jump all over the place as soon as you got near them they really frightened me and i when i read this i was like oh okay but when you posted the picture of what they look like i was like that is an alien bug (laughs) that is that looks like a lizard spider like it had skin that almost looked like a lizard skin it It has terrifying mottled skin giant legs that go like up and down (laughs) it's Um, horrifying the big like thick bodies yeah meaty bodies and like uh these two hind things that like it literally looks like the bug legs from gyo from the uh fish legs shark legs whatever you want to call it from that story that exact horrifying geometry he directly translated into one of his best known works totally uh and apparently there are these crickets are around the world they're also known as cave crickets or spider crickets or camel crickets and uh if you just grew up around them you fucking hated them i i guess we were just lucky <laughs> thank god I, especially also having to go to the bathroom in a, at the end of a dark tunnel it's like in a basement is awful too um uh, uh are you gonna go more into umez Kazuo? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, this guy is, like, a very interesting guy. Uh, he's kind of this... I'm trying to think of, uh, like, if if Charles Schultz or... St- it's kind of more like a Stan Lee. He was, like, a comic celebrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of his works were incredibly popular. He had a wide range of uh, different subject matters that he, that he covered. But a lot of them dealt with, like, the macabre and the dark. And this was the same kind of era as Go Nagai, where... Manga was getting a little racy. Manga was getting a little violent. Manga was getting a little, like, uh, uh, powerful. And so uh, the young Junji Ito, throughout his childhood, because he lived in such a remote village, uh, did what I think we've covered a lot of creators doing. I'm thinking specifically of uh, Miyazaki and Uh Dark Souls Mm -hmm. and a few other creators where because they only had access to the incomplete stories, their imagination took over and they – he even wrote uh, his own manga to, like, be the next volume of Anuma's piece because he couldn't get access to it. And so that, like, need for closure but that weird, like, childlike uh, amateurishness I think really contributed to how singular and unique his stories are. Because if you're only given pieces of a story, what you fill that with without any training can be 
wild and crazy, but they still have to fit back into the pieces that you do have. And covered in cave crickets. <laughs> and covered in cave crickets. Uh, one of his, uh, Umez Kazuo's, uh, uh, I think the most famous one of his works, the one that uh, uh, Ido points out in the, his autobiography comic about him, uh, is The Drifting Classroom, which is this classic uh, story. You can actually, it's a couple of volumes have been released already about a a normal like Japanese elementary school that gets transported to a post-apocalyptic nightmare world where there's like fucking radioactive mutants and psychics and marauders and they have to survive on their own and like kids go crazy and it's like a very macabre dark story with what is a familiar but for the child audience at the time a very familiar setting of a normal elementary school and that's there's like pictures of uh ito like literally drooling and screaming in ecstasy as he's reading these comics um also mez kazuo uh would do live performances and he would show up on TV. Uh, for example, he had a novelty rock hit in Japan at the time called <laughs> Diarrhea Rock. Uh, squirt, squirt, diarrhea rock every day are some of the lyrics. Um, <laughs> so I can see how a young Junji Ito just like literally intoxicated by these stories. It's like his Rob Zombie. It's yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this guy does everything. He's, you know, he's the, and he's a celebrity and he's. He's the coolest guy. He's got such an interesting point of view that he was the main influence, definitely. Yeah. There are other influences. There's uh, Hideshi Hino, a horror manga artist uh, known for Hell Baby, Hino Horrors, and Panorama of Hell. There's also Shinichi Koga, who um, is another horror manga author who uh, is known for The Wizard of Darkness. You have Yasutaka Tsutsui, who uh, is known for his dark satire. He wrote the manga Paprika, which was later adapted to film. Oh, and, wow. of course, H.P. Lovecraft, known for his cosmic horror. And then we can't leave out, and he would later go on to do his own version of uh, Frankenstein, but uh, the oh. Universal Monsters, Frankenstein and Dracula, Ido said. And again, this is because largely of the limited resources he had. He said, I grew up in the old-timey Hammer and Universal horror movies, which focus more on creating a scary mood. So I prefer movies that gradually scare the audience with eerie atmosphere. Jump scares can certainly make people scared in the moment, but it's sort of a fleeting fear. I suppose it's all a matter of taste. Uh, he also... Uh, he also Yeah, I would not call Ito's work fleeting fear. <laughs> he also was greatly inspired by his own dreams. He was also very obsessed with UFOs as his child. Um... The story, The Hanging Balloons, is actually based off of a dream he had as a child. Uh, let me just uh, we we mentioned a couple times in The Hanging Balloons, uh, a mysterious. Which, which, by the way, you can you can find that too, right? Pretty easy. Yeah, you can on find a Google search. Um, depending on which illegal manga reading sites are online and which have been taken down at any time, if you really want to, you can very quickly and easily uh, read a lot of Junji Ito. But you should pick up those uh, Gyo and Uzumaki sure. books because they're. So cheap and so well put together. Yeah, it's funny to be so impressed by, like, the printing of I'm like, this is so nice. <laughs> $20? It's almost as if in America people treat the art form of comics like dog shit. <laughs> and when someone actually gives it the uh, uh, reverence that they deserve, uh, it's unsettling. Anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, feeding yourself. The great struggle of survival in today's day and age. And while early man once had to avoid cave tigers and sky bears... It's the modern man's problem that he has work or a job or he's already put on sweatpants and doesn't want to microwave leftovers for the fifth time this week. Well, thanks to the magic of technology and just the joy of living in the future, it doesn't have to be that way. Why, you can feed yourself and enjoy fresh, delicious food from your favorite restaurants all with DoorDash. That's right, DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Whether you're uh, in a house or some kind of uh, yurt, it doesn't matter. DoorDash does not discriminate against your architecture. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door -door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, ordering from your local go-tos or choosing from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, or the Cheesecake Factory is easy as pie. 
or should I say, a cheesecake. <laughs> oh, it's great. I literally need it to live sometimes because I'm gaming too hard. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code WIZARD. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code WIZARD. So don't forget, that's promo code WIZARD for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. In the Hanging Balloons, uh, the uh, a celebrity is uh, is commits suicide, and then the next day, her head is floating in a form of a giant nylon balloon with a noose hanging from it, and then more and more people notice that their own heads are floating giant balloons, and then the balloons start talking to the people, and um, they just start uh, just strangling people to death and then carrying their bodies aloft. And if you try and pop the balloon, uh, your head deflates and the goo comes out. <laughs> it's a funny, though. Yeah, and uh, so that's the kind of dreams he was having. Also, uh, you have the movies he's watching on TV, and in the 70s, there was a big boom of occult films. He mentioned specifically Suspiria, which makes a lot mm. of sense. If you've ever seen Myster- Suspiria, it takes place, it's in Italy, right? In a, in a ballet it's, uh, Argen- school? It's Dario Argento. Yeah, yeah, it's Italy, ballet school. It's it's the kind, it's a slow burn. Wait, it makes It makes a lot of sense. Beautiful Please. women, dread, and body horror? <laughs> Influence Junji Ito. <laughs> exactly, right? Very slow burn, great, you know, final twist. And and definitely, I think in terms of pacing, that makes so much sense. Also, he saw The Exorcist on TV, but it was really just the stuff he was able to watch on the television was what he had access to. Um, he also used to be afraid of other people's eyes. And when walking down the street, he would be unable to make eye contact with people he passed. He well, said, that's just normal. Everybody has that. <laughs> he said, I think in horror, the eyes are really important. How you draw them can totally change how scary a story is. I think the scariest part of the body is probably people's eyes. And just thinking back on the longest dream as the man changes in horrible ways, the eyes really, I, I see it in my head right now, especially in his like, we'll call it his like final form. Mm. Just terrifying. There's just something, they're, they're just these black voids of of just t- uh, horror that are so well drawn. I can't help thinking about that Tomie chapter where the girl's hair starts growing inward and the individual <laughs> filaments start slicing through her brain matter. <laughs> yeah. Um so he's uh he gets out of high school. He 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 does publish his first manga while in high school, but it's still I think kind of it's not like a career path for him. He yeah. ends up starting out as a dental technician. In the early 90s. And just so we're clear, that's not a dental hygienist. That's not a dentist. It's the guy responsible for, like, actually making the crowns and the fittings and, like, uh, the dentures. And while he's there, he's able to, as he puts it, uh, I studied a bit about human anatomy when I was in school to be a dental technician. For reference, I also bought a book on human anatomy originally meant for medical students. Uh, But what my dental technician experience really helped me the most was for the pens I used to draw manga the tools of the trade. I learned techniques I could use to customize those tools, such as cutting and whittling down pins to make them shorter, cutting grooves into the base so they would be easier to hold, sanding them down to make them smooth and clean. All That all came from the techniques I learned to shape and finish dentures. So he's treating his pins like teeth, which is amazing, and also learning a lot about the human body. And if you look at his work, anatomy is so important to his work. He's able to distort it and play with it in these ways that you would have to have a basic understanding from a medical perspective of the body in order to do. He has a knack for pointing out parts of the body that you don't think about, which is always great for hard, just something you never even, you took for granted betraying you out of nowhere. Which is body heart is yeah. the, the fear of your own body betraying yeah. you. Um, where like just uh, in Uzumaki, the cochlea, cochlea um, in your ear yes. being a source of heart. Oh, or, my God. And man, he nails mental illness so well, too. Talking about that chapter. That's when the mother goes mad mm-hmm. after the it's like chapter two. It is so harrowing and it is so he, he's able to take, I think. Um, dealing with a family member with mental illness and and put it into a horror sense in the most gutting way possible, I think. Um, there, uh, one story I remember reading uh, was about a woman 
who uh, went around stealing the ribs out of people. Mm. And it's just like, you never even thought about your ribs. You're yeah. not thinking about your ribs. <laughs> I don't take my ribs. And then this woman, she steals the ribs, puts them in her body. She has too many ribs. Ew, that's gross. Uh, and another chapter is just called like the mystery of the pylorus, <laughs> which is like an obscure part of your gut. Uh. So he submits, this is when things really take off for him. He's still a dental technician, whatever. He submits a short story to Gekin Halloween. This is that, um, it's a Hall- monthly Halloween magazine, but it's for specifically a female audience, mm-hmm. correct? A shoujo series, not a shonen series. Yes, and it wins an honorable mention in the Kazuo Umetsu Prize, uh, Umetsu himself being one of the judges. So immediately gets the attention of his idol, which is amazing. And this is the story that later gets serialized as Tomie. Oh, Did I yes. say it right? Yes, yes. Uh, so this first- In 1987. You, everyone should, if you care about Junji Ito, it's like harder to find. But take a look at this first this first Tomie story because it lays out a lot of, um, a lot of key things. But it's really interesting to see how his art- was kind of crude at first, how he mm-hmm. really did have a creative arc and that he did gradually improve and the kind of um, almost pen and ink fireworks that you associate with him weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. And yet still he could tell a terrifying story. The whole deal with Tomie is um, she was a beautiful high school girl with a with a mole under her left eye and uh, her she had an affair with her gym teacher and the gym teacher uh, killed her. But then, and they had a funeral for her, and it was this big high school tragedy, and then she just showed up again the next day <laughs> and pretended like she didn't know what happened. Mm. And everyone is flipping the fuck out. And that kind of um, unreality, that sense of like uh, what, I, what you experienced doesn't matter, and reality is forging ahead without, despite what you insist is real, is a huge thing. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, he kept pumping out Tomie stories. Throughout like his 30-year career, you can actually see it evolve uh, in real time if you pick up a compilation of those stories. And where he goes with it is it goes from, like, ha-ha, schoolgirl murder to full-on, like, just Lovecraftian cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing. Um, he said about this, uh, when I was in junior high school, a boy in my class died in a traffic accident. It just felt so odd to me that a classmate who was so full of life should suddenly disappear from the world. And I had the strange feeling that he would show up again innocently. Ever since then, I wanted to give expression to that feeling in my manga. That's how I came up with the idea of a girl who was supposed to have died, but then just shows up as if nothing had happened. In real life, it was a boy who died, but I turned her into a girl in the manga. So, um, and this runs in Gekin Halloween for 13 years. And uh, it just, you know, he was even asked in an interview, like, why this was so popular with that specific audience. He thinks uh, largely it's because of a natural wish for immortality, but also because Tomie, quote, lives her life completely as she wishes. She's haughty, yet she captivates men. And I think there's something about a power because he's playing off of a fra- it's a phrase in Japan called Yamato Nadashiko, which is the Japanese feminine ideal, mm-hmm. which is being like print being very beautiful, long black hair, but also being very prim and proper and like and, and you know, the, the perfect Japanese woman. Great and, at flower arrangement. Yeah. And laughs very politely. Yes. Um, and breaking that mold and also, being you, this. You this, know what's real creepy? What? Is uh, in so many Tomie stories to like say how beautiful she is she always has like this long straight hair this like uh, perfect like chin and they always say trans near translucent skin yeah because like having pale yeah white skin is like Which highly is valued creepy yeah it's creepy <laughs> um the also i would i would say that uh i think the reason why it resonated so much with a female audience is that uh for teen girls the whole deal of Tomie that men are capable of being fat, infatuated with you, but also highly capable of killing you, is an emotion that resonates very, very much with the transition from girlhood to womanhood. Uh, sure. It's like you're playing in the exact like zone of where a girl's fears are at that age. Because the whole deal is Tomie gets what she wants. She can like make men do her whims, but they inevitably go crazy and kill her, and then she's somehow cursed to come back and uh yeah that that is really his first 
big career thing is with Tomie, but then his next big work, uh, Uzumaki, is just, I feel like, this unbelievable masterpiece. Um, and it really starts with his vision of the spiral. And the spiral being, I think a lot of times, okay, so he's subverting what we just talked about, the Yamato Nadashiko, Japanese feminine ideal. Now he's looking at spirals, and, and spirals traditionally in manga are used in cutesy ways. Um, it fills in the cheeks for someone blushing, yeah. or if they get bonked on the head, they got spirals Yeah, in their it's eyes. like a comedy thing. Um, and he said, uh, uh, ever since I started writing, I have struggled for story ideas, and I'm always working to try and look at the world and turn it into something. And some of those things don't fit the idea of horror, but really, I will use anything I can. So... Uh, he he just he he just becomes obsessed with this shape. He wanted to write a story about strange changes happening to folks living in a very long traditional Japanese house, similar to the one he had lived in when he was a child. Uh, they call it well, a board house, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and when attempting to draw the building, he was inspired by the shape of a mosquito coil. Which is a type of mosquito repelling incense. You know those incense, the the twirly ones. They don't actually work that well, but yeah. you can buy them everywhere. It's shaped in a spiral, and he recognized the spiral as a mysterious pattern. And he wanted to try to learn the secrets of this pattern by writing uh, Uzumaki. Nobody, I don't think anybody ever like starts reading about the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio and spirals and like comes away happier yeah. for it. <laughs> so he would stare at spirals. He would research them. He would create them by draining water from bathtubs. He would eat spiral-patterned foods. He would raise snails because of the spiral shape on their shell. And all of these things are going to come into play in his work, Uzumaki. And he didn't really come away with any new revelation, per se, other than that they may be representative of infinity. That the and and I think infinity holds its own mysteries. Oh, the the hor- infinity is one of the most horrifying concepts in the history of humanity. So this is where we really see uh, Ito like working at his best, like taking this simple concept and just twisting it and twisting it and twisting it into more and more extremes. And we get to a point where he's just gone from this very one simple thing into an exploration of uh, psychological and philosophical concepts embedded within this horror, right? Mm-hmm. And Uzumaki definitely, man, that that story evolves. Like it, ran, it starts out like any other horror anthology. Could have just been called like Black Mirror Squiggles. Yeah. But it goes places. Because it all takes place in the same space. It all takes place in this one like – uh, what seaside town yeah. that with with these with these long houses and stuff. And at first, when I read when I was doing research while I was reading it, I was like spiral shaped board houses. I don't even know what he's talking about. And then eventually, you get there. <laughs> it's like whoa! It, it it starts so again so simply, and by the end of it, the whole town is is like just so chaotic and and he's just building off of one thing off of another he said he prefers writing his shorter pieces than longer pieces but i think he does an amazing job in uzumaki uzumaki though is like the individual pieces that create the whole you don't really get the sense of uh the whole cohesive story until the final fourth of Mm -hmm. until then it's like a bunch of short stories all taking place in the same space dealing with different Coming at the spiral from different angles. You've got the slug boy one. You've got the seductress one. You've got the 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 uh, unrequired the or the 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 Romeo and Juliet story essentially. Oh yeah, yeah. The end of and the Jack in the Box. But by the end, you are looking at this town just uh, falling into chaos, and he took all of these little things he introduced to you, and he puts them all together in a really great way, and I think it ends very strongly in such a Lovecraftian way. Uh, for sure, where you're just like, what the fuck is this? It's like the mysteries of the world exist within this town. It's also like, I thought it was kind of a metaphor for just growing up in a small town and kind of uh, how people's small-time psychoses uh, become larger than life in these like kind of claustrophobic settings and how the urge to escape is kind of uh, fought also by the gravitational vortex yes. of like your friends and family and that push and pull and that unease is very much what it's like growing up in a small town and wanting to like move on to bigger and better things, but also feeling trapped mm-hmm. by your connections. He also uh, he said this of people who why he thinks people are drawn to ho- the horror genre. My thinking is that life is kind of uncertain. 
The future is uncertain. We don't know what is going to happen. Maybe something bad is waiting for us. Like, we don't know. And there's that uncertainty and that anxiety that comes from that. So if we see something scary, if we look at these scary things, then maybe we can prepare mentally for that. Maybe it's some kind of readying our minds for possible future terrors. Adult Swim has put out a couple of trailers for an upcoming yes, series in right. 2020. I was going to like... Oh, we're going to end on that? No, I, we can talk about it now. I was going to get to it is all I was saying. Oh, okay. Did you, I? The trailers look fucking dope. And it's black and white. It looks just, it looks like the manga. Yeah. Like, straight up. I don't know what, how, you know, just slightly put to motion. The soundtrack is dead on. Mm -hmm. And it's done by um, Colin Stetson, who composed on Hereditary. It's directed by Hiroshi Nagahama. Um, and it just, it seems really faithful to the original work. And yeah, it's a partnership between Toonami and Production IG. It's a four-part miniseries. It's going to come out in 2020. And, like, I finished reading Uzumaki and then watched that trailer. And I was just like, yes! Like, this looks fucking legit. So I hope it is. Because uh, I'm definitely going to be watching that. Yeah, I have high hopes. Especially after the Junji Ito collection anime really let people down a lot. Yeah, so I only caught a little bit of it. And I could just tell it wasn't really quite there did you watch much of it or did was it more just based on i watched reaction? like one episode and then watched like three different anime youtubers break down <laughs> why it failed yeah uh super eye patch wolf is a very good youtuber who does a lot of anime stuff and he has a great episode about this but it's like a first-time director they didn't have the budget to like really like deliver on a lot of the visuals that the manga has mm. and so like and if you cut even a single corner on this storytelling, it loses some of its impact. Um, the director was like kind of, was was, uh, was not very experienced with a uh, major series, and it just seemed like a weird mismatch. And it's mm. unfortunate. Um, you know, it's it's a little cool when like the shot does match the comic, but again, time crunch, budget crunch, just the, all these little compromises just. Just uh, defang. I'm, what are these classics? I'm stories? incredibly hopeful for this Uzumaki uh, uh, miniseries based on the trailer. Yeah. Uh, so definitely check that trailer out. It'll give you a good idea also, I think, of the basic tone and look and feel of Uzumaki, which might drive you to go pick it up. Um, There's also been, like, a lot of adaptations in live action. There's, like, I, at least a handful of Tomie-like live action movies and TV projects that I hear are kind of trash, but, you know... Uh, prove me wrong. Send me the good one and save me time. So let's talk about Gyo. The Death Stench. <laughs> God, this is talking of, speaking of series that goes places. Holy that goes places. I've had nightmares all week. <laughs> I have been frightened of everything around me and death is not up. Yeah, fully titled Gyo Ugo Meku Bukimi or Fish Ghastly Squirming. It is. Uh, it appeared in Big Comic Spirits from 01 to 02. It's later was bound into two volumes, and now you can pick it up in an omnibus um, as English translation. It's about a couple, Tadashi and Kaori, fighting for survival against a shitload of dead fish with metal legs, powered by an indoor by an odor known as the death stench. The I just just a simple thing that like, uh, hey, when something dies, it stinks. It releases stink gas, and that becoming just the core of a story that involves um, uh, coming to terms with Japan, with Japan's imperialist past, uh, the breakdown of society, uh, just the horror of like what becomes of your body when you die, losing control of your body. The uh, very idea is uh, that these horrifying organomechanical apparatus um, will latch onto you, kill you, and then, use your decomposing body as a source of gas that will then drive itself, which manifests first in the ocean and causes uh, sharks and piranha. And just even uh, there's a horrifying scene where he's just like in a tank full of tiny sardines that also got the little legs on him. <laughs> uh, and this, it was greatly inspired by Jaws. He said of uh, Spielberg's work, he masterfully captured the essence of fear in the form of a man-eating shark. I thought it would be even greater to capture that fear in a man-eating shark that goes on land as well. So yes, it starts off at sea, moves to the land, nobody's safe. Um, the, and, and of course, it's the origin of that door slam shark meme that we've seen everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Um, and yes, it was adapted into an OVA directed by Takeyuki Hirao. 
with character designs by Takaru Takahashi. It was planned to be 30 minutes. It ended up being a 75-minute production released in 2012. Do you know anything about the OVA? Is that any good? Um, Feels like he gets pretty generally lost in translation. I don't think anyone holds up any single anime adaptation of his as uh, sacrosanct. Um, I think they did some like they did some CG stuff, and it was during an era where CG within anime still looked a little awkward. Um, I remember seeing clips of it and being like, eh, I guess that's what was in the comic, I guess. He did mention getting a bit exhausted on the concept by the end, so it might have uh, flagged out a little bit. I have to go back and read Gyo. I've only read panels and sections and gotten the basic idea of it. But uh, I They pick do it up. the thing in towards the end of Gyo that a lot of storytellers will do when they're kind of just like, they just want to get it over with, where the main character will black out a lot and just mm-hmm. wake up with a new status quo that's like closer to the end of what the author just wants to get to. By the way, also the uh, the Gyo like omnibus of uh, uh, collections have also have included the sad tale of Principal Post, as well as the Enigma of Amigara Fault, and we mentioned that multiple times. Ito has said that this is his favorite story he's written, along with Long Dream and The Hanging Balloons. Uh, I want to talk. Uh, I want to read this quote uh, for his inspiration for the long dream. Mm-hmm. He said, "When I was a kid, my eldest sister told me something she had learned. She said that dreams are viewed in an instant. You see, when you're sleeping and have a dream, you feel time passing by. But for someone looking at the dreamer objectively, the dream only takes an instant." I did some research online recently, and it seems that this used to be a major theory. I think they called it the instantaneous generation theory. I was fascinated with this notion. I imagined that if you could have a dream that lasted for a considerable duration, it might be possible to have a very long dream in an instant as well, which I think is great. He also uh, uh, won an Eisner Award for his adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, That's the one major work I just did not have I want to get to it. I really want to get to it. He said, I didn't know much about it at the time. I first knew of it from the old 1931 movie with Boris Karloff. I later found out about the story 25 years ago from the Kenneth Branagh 1994 movie. After that, I got offered to draw a serialization of the series a while back. When I did my research, I found out that it was a highly scientific story going back to, of course, his uh, obsession with human anatomy. It's about an android character that comes out and I wanted to convey that feeling from it into my manga. The original story involved Frankenstein asking the scientist to create an artificial bride, and I wanted to put my own spin on the female android bride. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to spoil the story, but when I watched the Kenneth Branagh movie, I was surprised at how similar it was to what I had drawn. So we've gone deep, deep, deep into the horrifying places that his work has gone, but you know, it's kind of like, st- I feel like he's there's a Stephen King vibe where, in reality, he's this mild-mannered guy that's just yeah. been, like, tacking away at drawing this entire time. And, you know, drawing, we've, this is another thing that we that comes up a lot when we talk about manga authors. Uh, drawing manga is a very, very time-consuming and deliberate process. So, like, you know, for all, of, like, the twisted ideas in there, he's literally just a guy that, like, it's like, oh, I'm going to draw a fucking janky-ass teen girl with, like, a rotted spine and spider legs everywhere. Time to spend 10 hours and get my inking pen and my Wacom tablet and just, like, just, you know, get it done. It's a very it's a very boring <laughs> lifestyle when all is said and done. Um, and uh, one of the things that's, like, amazing is uh, one, of his, uh, one of his works that you mentioned briefly is the Junji Ito Cat Diary. Yes. Uh, where he just... Goes into his very mundane life uh, where his wife, uh, who is a very fictionalized version of his wife. His wife is like a children's illustrator. They, ha- they have a couple of kids together at this point. But uh, they, she's, they adopt a cat. Um, one is like a fluffy kind of Maine Coon kind of looking cat. And the other is this just very weird, spooky cat named Jan that <laughs> you can find pictures of online. And son of a bitch, it does have a fucking weeping skull like markings on its back (laughs) and the just everyday uh you know just cleaning up turds and like you know wanting to play with it and getting bitten and it's just wholesome as fuck it's just really wholesome even though he does give it that like horror and dread and flair that he's known for uh he i've seen interviews with him he's just a really quiet guy there's a great um 
Yeah, look at even just seeing a picture of him, you get a sense of what he's like, which is again not this like gothy master of horror, you know, guy that you would imagine in your head. Uh, when he's like, yeah, whenever he's asked about what like what truly scares him, he'll usually just say something like war. I don't know, war's like pretty real, and it looks like it's it's fucking terrible. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty scared of war. <laughs> yeah, he said, when I was a child, my parents, who were of the war generation, would tell me tragic and frightening war stories. So I naturally developed a strong awareness of war as a scary thing. What's more, as a boy, I was afraid I would be drafted as a soldier when I grew up. This fear of mine naturally developed into anti-war feelings. And I think this is reflected in my work. Oh, yeah. One of the... If the story goes... If, if it's not just like a quick teens in the woods get murked story... The breakdown of society is something that genuinely like fascinates. For sure, and you get that in Uzumaki for sure. You watch this, you watch as these individuals uh, go through some kind of scary tale. But by the end of it, it's it's about a civilization falling apart, mm-hmm. descending into chaos. Every man for themselves, just going nuts. You know what I mean? And and in these really terrifying and visually terrifying ways as well. The way that they're just building this like mass of tangled up individuals or like building uh. new sections of the of the house and and the spiral is like it's so weird and and unique and fascinating and unnerving as all hell. They do such a good job. It definitely a lot of it does feel like the way you can feel in a dream that loss of control everything's strange nothing makes sense but it's and it's just gonna happen and you have no control over it and you're just trying to move through it escape it do whatever you can or get to the center of it but it's just constantly just being done to you you know uh yeah uh he also uh has spoke towards his fascination with the grotesque he said i'm not too sure of the reason it could be that my curiosity is stronger than fear. Perhaps I just have bad taste. Something which is a bit different from human, not animal either, and yet exists in our world. It spreads in rumors and remains a mystery. He cites the urban myth of the uh, Kuchisake Ona, the spirit, uh, or the split mouth woman who kills passersby. That's like a common, that's kind of their. Um, uh, oh, Japan is crawling with yokai monsters. Yeah. Like yeah. left and right. It's like their Jersey Devil kind of thing. Um, and he said, with things like that, rumors spread first before facts. It's thrilling. <laughs> so for me, rather than scary, those things were thrilling and fascinating to me, that these are products of our imagination. I find it interesting that humans have such powers of imagination. Um, and, God, I, yeah. I love how Japanese yokai come in like two forms. It's either like, oh, it's a bubble that like tells your worst secret. Or it's like, it's a woman with broken bones and a sideways mouth that chomps your balls off yeah. in the middle of the night. <laughs> or this one's like a weasel, but it's got knifey hands. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a ton of live action adaptations, by the way. There are almost too many to, to explore yeah. in this episode, but I will briefly talk about them. Tomie got nine films. It's a, different, it's a different industry. Tomie Another Face. Tomie Replay. Those are all released as a trilogy. And weirdly, they, they removed a lot of the visually upsetting stuff, um, a lot of the gore, and it was more of a drama for the youth, less of a horror movie. I don't even understand how you would do that. Tomie Beginning was a prequel, but it was also more of a direct uh, adaptation of the manga, so that might be a little bit more... Uh, visually interesting and scary. And then there's also Tomie Rebirth, Tomie The Final Chapter, Forbidden Fruit, Tomie Revenge, Tomie vs. Tomie, and Tomie Unlimited. It seems, it sounds a lot like cash grabs. I, I don't know if any of those stand out. Maybe our listeners can let us know uh, via Twitter or Facebook whether or not these, it's any of Japan these are worth a watch. It's over eager to create media where the main character is a hot teen girl. There's also a live adaptation of Uzumaki, which came out in 2000 which uh, generally felt otherworldly and strange, but never quite hit the horror notes, at least based off of the critical reactions that I read, that it's got a very unique feel to it. And even the poster looks like, ooh, like this is definitely about tone, but never quite gets there when it Unless comes a fat to... kid turns into a snail monster, I'm not watching. Well, it's hard to do, too, because it really, uh, like I said, it really feels like a collection of short stories that turn into one cohesive piece by the end. But how do you put that into film form it seems very difficult to do that's why i'm very hopeful for this mini series but even then um i don't know i'm i'm, I'm curious to see what they're going to be able to do to it there also uh, are other adaptations including long dream 
from what I read, Long Dream in its uh, live action adaptation, they extend the story, which makes sense if you read the story, you can see how they could extend it. But again, I think it loses a lot of what makes it so thrilling by pushing the plot yeah, into yeah. places that it doesn't need to go. There's also Gyo Tokyo Fish Attack, <laughs> which is, I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, and also, we should mention, you know, Ito was involved in uh, PT, which we've talked about before in this month of <laughs> shows. Um, I'm not. Do you know exactly what his collaboration was in terms of? I only heard that maybe like, just some character design stuff. Yeah, with yeah that ghost lady. Just another twist in the knife that, like, yeah. oh, by the way, he also was he was involved. Was he involved at all in Death Stranding? Because you have those machines with organs coming out of them. That the tanks mm. that look like they have like guts coming out of them and stuff like that. That feels very Ito. I don't know. I I couldn't find. Information yeah, I that. couldn't. It just seems like. Visually, maybe it's just the influence he had on Kojima and mm. creating Death Stranding. But, yeah, he was involved in in the the PT, the failed PT project. If you know, that was supposed to be Silent Hills, but Konami was Konami. And you can go find out more of that uh, in our Silent Hill episode. It's just very interesting how this guy has kind of forged a career almost with the virality of a creepypasta. Yeah, that, like, it really, it really, yeah, for sure. That um, I I remember seeing his work first uh, in like, well, I saw his work first as a kid, like in the Viz catalog, but I never like actually read any of it. Uh, And then just like during my fucking angry teen 4chan years, like people would post screenshots and people would host like the whole comic. And it was just this like whispered, like just uh, like like a just like a secret handshake of like, oh, check this shit out. Yep. Yep. Uh, he said this about his approach to story, and I think this makes so much sense for if you've read multiple of his short stories and things like that. Um, Most of the time, I don't have a story and don't start with a story. The process for me starts off as a visual or a strong image based off my intuition. I'll start brainstorming ideas on a memo pad, and if I have an interesting image in my head, I can create a plot around it. If I have Mouth, a- but bad? Yes. <laughs> If I have a picture of the climax scene that I can visualize in my head, I can create and make the story interesting. However, it's difficult for me to do the other way around when I'm given a story and need to draw around it. So I think that's very fascinating. And I think that makes a lot of sense for horror. Placenta garden. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. That chapter. You made, no, I no, forgot no. Yeah, about that we, chapter. We've already given up too many. Oh, Just- the baby stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so fucked up, man. That was that was one where I was like, this is fucked up. <laughs> And it felt really fun, too, to be surrounded by, like, my parents and people who would just be totally disgusted and just so uh, unnerved by what I was reading and have that be my little secret, you know, the whole time. That was really fun. But it makes sense if you read, like, almost every chapter of Uzumaki, uh, at least up till like, the near end, when clearly he's like, how do I put this all together? And I think he does do a good job of it, even though it does feel like, oh, this is not exactly what Ito's strength is. And he's even said this. He doesn't – he prefers the short form Mm -hmm. instead of the long. I think he still nails it in Uzumaki. But you can tell, like, oh, this is a guy who really wants to – like we said just now, take this uh, a, a very terrifying single mental image and develop this short piece around it and and get to it um, as opposed to like this big epic style storytelling. But I hope he has more Uzumakis in him. I'm not even sure what he's up to. I at just this want point. him to draw more cat comics. <laughs> yeah, you love the cat comics. Um, the he's recently switched from uh, pure pen and ink to mostly tablet based art, mm. and he's uh, putting out. I forget what the name of the series is, but he's still going strong. He's still putting out work. Yeah, I mean, it it, it feels a little strange. Maybe we'll have to do a, a second part to this one day, because I feel like he has so much more ahead of him. He's just now uh, broken majorly into, uh, you know the west coast you know the uh, western world and uh yeah it's 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 gonna be really exciting to see what he continues to develop and and it, even and if what it's he not horror yeah and what an he entire now we have an entire generation where uh the same people that you know would have grown up reading edgar Allan poe and like watching freddy krueger right. are now coming into their own and we're getting stuff like hereditary and we're getting i was stuff. about to say i kind of want what's the hereditary guy's name uh mr midsummer Johnny Midsummer. <laughs> uh, because I just saw Midsummer and uh, Ari Aster. I really want 
to see his take on an Edo tale. That would be amazing. Unfortunately, because I was thinking about this, I was like, who, what filmmaker could make a really good live action um, adaptation of his works? Even if it was a scary stories to tell in the dark, like we just got a horror compilation. I think that's what I want. Uh, uh, you know, like a creep show film of Ito stories, maybe with different directors. And I'm, I was trying to think of a, because I don't want it to necessarily be uh, like a white American guy. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 but what are the what Japanese director could could take it on? You know, I was trying, I was kind of racking my brain on that one. Uh, I mean, I would trust like, uh, uh, what's the the guy who just did? There's like a there's a couple of uh, Korean directors who can like yes, really pull off a high budget. Yeah, thing. totally. Uh, Japan's film industry is so forged by its like low budget nature a lot of times that like it is kind of in- it is kind of weird to. I don't know if there is. I don't know. I'm, I'm making weird directed, racial comments. How about out. the guy who directed Audition? Oh, Takashi Miike? Uh, he'd be up for it. He does it. But, like, again, he's this, like, renegade kind of cowboy guy that really does his best work in the shadows and in his, like, uh, uh, over, uh, you know, direct-to-video wheelhouses where he really gets to shine. But I think we cracked it. Like, take a... Um what what what's it wreck i believe wasn't wreck uh yeah rec i believe that like that kind of a horror compilation mm. approach get a bunch of different directors to adapt their favorite oh, that would be tale that's what i would love to see that but in the Fuck meantime it. i would love animators yeah, yeah like sure. like prestige animators sure. like really given the budget to like do what the um what the anime series wasn't like able to do. Yeah. In the meantime, check out that trailer for the 2020 uh, miniseries Uzumaki miniseries with Toonami and Project IG. I think that that is uh, looking very promising. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode on Junji Ito to finish out. We're done, Jake. We can- Spooky October has come to a close. Next episode, we're doing fucking Space Jam. <laughs> and I'm going to sleep nice. And I'm going to kiss my fiance. And I'm going to pet dogs. And nothing's going to have teeth coming out of its eye sockets. Yeah, but then we have to deal with being attracted to a sexy rabbit, uh, Jake. I mean, that's very up- upsetting. The deepest horror of all. <laughs> is our own id. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to support us further, check us out on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, for just $5 a month, you get a, a, fr- a, a free bonus episode. It's not free. It's $5 a month. But every single week, we put out a bonus episode. Sometimes more. Sometimes more. And uh, yeah, we really, really uh, appreciate all of the kind words and all of the wonderful stuff you guys throw out there and, and send to us and whatnot. Uh, you can follow me uh, on twitch.tv forward slash holdnators ho. I do a lot of streaming. I can't wait to get back into it after this week long vacation. Jake! Another way you can support the podcast, even if you don't have $5 to spend, is just to open up your phone, like whip out that podcast app. And leave a review and, uh, give, you know, if you give us five stars and some nice words, it helps us with visibility. It helps us in the charts. And it really does make a huge difference. And you can, again, just, oh, just it's there. It's on your phone. Just boop, do it. It's great. It's fantastic. I believe in you. Take control. Do what must be done. Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. Hey, and always remember, never stop whizzing. And keep on barousing. <laughs> <laughs> Wolfman's got nards! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.